Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. We're seeing revivals that are breaking out, you know, all over the nation, and it's not just one place. It's happening all over. It's happening in Asbury. It's happening in Lee University, Texas A&M. I, somebody even sent me a, a text message yesterday of my old high school in Federal Way, Washington, where I grew up. And this student is standing up in this classroom and he's preaching the gospel and people are saying yes to Jesus in the middle of school. Like at a public high school. Come on. You know? And no matter what they're teaching in the school system, God's like, you, I, I got my hand on Gen Z. <laughs> I'm, I'm more powerful than these ridiculous laws that you're trying to pass. Because it's not about, they could pass all the laws that they want to pass, but it's the heart. He's, I, 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 I can touch that heart. I can still touch that heart. I can still heal that person. And so we're seeing these revivals that are happening and, and it's sweeping around, uh, you're in a chapel here on Vanguard University campus. Vanguard University, they just had a, a whole week uh, where they had revival services that were happening in the morning and in the evening until late at night, and the students are worshiping, and the presence of God is here, and people are repenting and calling on the name of the Lord. And uh, last week, I was with some of the crazies that gave their life to Jesus, and I watched from the uh, comfortable shores of the ocean as they got into the ocean, and the student leaders were baptizing other students that said yes to Jesus. And it was 48 degrees and the wind is blowing out of control and it's freezing cold and they're screaming and yelling with the joy of the Lord. Like the Lord, you're living in good days. You know, I don't know if you know this, but more people have come to know Christ since the 1970s than all of previous recorded history combined. So people say, I'm looking for revival, brother, you're living in it. This it's here and now. His spirit is within you, and he's pouring out his spirit on people that, that don't even know him. This morning, I had an Uber ride. My, I go out to my car, and my car won't start. And I've learned one thing about God over the years, that any, any delay or disappointment is usually, uh, he's set me up for something. <laughs> and so I, Fawn says, hey, do you want us to come lay hands on the car and pray for it? And I said, no, babe, I already called my Uber. It's probably a divine appointment. And so I met this guy, Ramin, and Ramin and I had a wonderful talk, and I was able to pray with him at the end of my car ride, you know. And uh, he's not a Christ follower yet, but I'm believing he will be. And I got his number, and I am on him, baby. Uh, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit's on him, you know, and uh, we're seeing the Spirit of God poured out. I, I just want to, before we dive into the Word uh, today, I, I just want to mention something, you know, if, if you were here maybe a few weeks ago, uh, we had somebody share a prophetic word in the middle of service, uh, and then we had somebody interrupt the service. It was an exciting Sunday, okay, if you missed it, and I just want, I just want to provide a little bit of context, and I'll let you know, um, you know, the, when, when God's Spirit pours out, some people respond to it differently. And, uh, and, and these, some of what you're seeing is the same things that the Corinthian church saw as the Spirit of God is poured out in Corinth. And, uh, and, and that's why Paul wrote 
the letter, why we have the sacred writings of First and Second Corinthians is because he's like, hey, I'm noticing that there's some things, God's pouring out his spirit and it's beautiful, but I'm noticing there's some things that are a little bit awry. So I'm going to help bring a little bit of context there. In 1 Corinthians 14.40, I think we have it, we might put it on the screen, but it says this, it says, let all things be done decently and in order. And so one of the things that the Corinthian church was seeing is that they, they were forgetting what the purpose of certain gatherings were. They would have some gatherings that were for prayer meetings. They would have some gatherings similar today where they would have the teaching of the word of God. And, and people were just excited about the gift that was on their life and using that gift uh, that they forgot the fact that the, 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 the prophecy is subject to the prophet. And that the prophet is subject to the leadership of the church. And so Paul put some structure and things in order. And how many of you know the Holy Spirit didn't go, oh, Paul, you're quenching the spirit. You're putting rules on your people, Paul. No, that's, it's, it's the, it's the holy inspired authored scripture that was there to bring about a sense of order. The Bible says to know them who labor among you. And so for us, uh, you know, we like to say we're a Bible based Spirit-empowered, presence-driven church. We believe in the gifts and the move of the Holy Spirit. And I believe we're all feeling a sense of the Holy Spirit this morning in worship. And, and we believe in that. But the Bible also says to know them who labor among you. So if there's going to be somebody operating in their gift, that's totally cool. But if I don't know them, if we don't know you, it's best for you to enjoy being a guest in the house and a visitor rather than I believe it's Proverbs 25 that talks about the person that tries to take a seat in leadership that wasn't invited and then they get humiliated because they get asked to go take your seat over here you, you got to sit down and so rather than humiliate anybody if they're a guest in the house I would just encourage you take in the service if you have a prophetic word um, you feel like God is stirring something inside of you that's awesome write it down if it's powerful now how many of you know the word of God will be powerful in five minutes or in five days, or even in five weeks, depending on if the Lord is telling us, you know what, this is actually for the gathering of authentic church at this hour. So if you feel like you have a prophetic word, you can come up to myself or Pastor Fawn or Jason and Nicole, one of our leaders. And if we feel that it's a good time to go ahead and, 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 and share that word, we will. And there's some people that we know that we've done ministry for a long time. We've done ministry now for a few years together. If they felt like they had a prophetic word, they know that they could have the comfortability to share it. And I have faith and trust in that relationship that if for any reason it was off, I could lovingly correct them and it wouldn't ruin it because we value relationship over ministry in this house. Hope that makes sense. If you have questions about any of that, feel free to come grab me after service. I'd be happy to, to chat with you a little bit more about it. But the primary focus when we gather together on a Sunday, just to let you know, our primary focus when we gather together is to encounter God, number one, right? We encounter God through worship. We encounter God through the preaching and the teaching of the word. Then what happens is the word of God now in the soil of our hearts begins to do a work. And a lot of times, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to be utilized to do what? To build up the family of God. And so we, we want to see that happen. But like Paul said in Corinthians, it's just done with a little bit of order, right? And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with order. God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos or fear or what have you. So I hope that was okay. If you have any questions, you can ask me later. All right, let's jump into the word. So we're, if you're new to Authentic Church, uh, the word of the Lord for our church this year is foundations. And we felt like God was telling us to lay a strong foundation of what he wanted to build, 
Notice, by the way, Jesus said, I will build my church. He doesn't tell you and I to build the church. He tells you and I to build up and encourage people. But he said, I'm going to build the church. And so uh, he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So you don't have to worry about that. He's going to do what he wants to do. We're just stewards of that. And, uh, and we felt like the Lord told us to build a foundation, lay a foundation, if you will, though. And the foundation was built on a thriving prayer life, sound doctrine and theology, and then also that people would be activated in ministry. That's the foundation we, we've been given uh, instructions from the Lord to go ahead and lay in Authentic Church for this year. And we're in week three of a series that we titled Battle for the Bible. And the Bible is under attack and will continue to be. It's the most loved yet the most hated book in all of history. And uh, and, and the goal of this, ser- the, this series isn't just to give you some cool facts, but the goal is that it would actually give you a bit more strength into why you believe what you believe and that that foundation in your heart would be laid. So now, no matter what crazy stuff you hear going out there in the world or even crazy stuff you hear from self-proclaiming people that say, I'm a Christian, but maybe they just don't know the word of God, it'll give you the strength and courage to say, no, actually the word of God says this, and you can put your faith in it because you know the God of the word. Because facts will inform us, but truth transforms us. Can we say that together? Facts inform us, but truth transforms us. Theodore Roosevelt had this to say. He said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than your Vanguard college education, students. It's worth more than a college education, knowing the Bible. And when he said these words, the Bible was actually used in every aspect of life, in school, in business, in family. The Bible was the measuring stick. And so we began part one of our series. We dove into uh, the Bible being the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And uh, the Bible was written uh, by God, but through 40 different authors in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written across three different continents over the course of 1,500 years. Yet despite all of that, you would say, man, that there's a lot of opportunity with those facts right there. 40 different authors, three different languages. My goodness. I'm still learning to speak my wife's love language, let alone three other languages, right? Written across three continents over a span of 1,500 years. There's no book that could be written like that and assembled and put together that would have perfect continuity. There is no book that was written like that except the Bible. The Bible is 66 books in one. And so we talked about that. And um, in part two, we we dove into the canonization of the scriptures. Uh, Canon refers to, it's a rule of law. It's like a measuring and it's used for instruction. It means to like keep keep a straight keep a straight line and so these were the scriptures that were canonized somebody say well when was the canon well the bible was canonized when john wrote the last letters of the book of revelation that's when it was canonized according to heaven we simply recognized it oh that is the canonization of scripture later on and so we talked about the canonization of scriptures and why we have 66 books in the bible so the old testament we have 39 books in the new testament we have 27 books now if you have a hard time remembering that, let me just teach you a simple trick that my Sunday school teacher taught me. I got saved, but the person that 
helped explain the things of God to me was my pastor. And he took out a Sunday school felt board. So I, I like to say my Sunday school teacher taught me this trick to remember this. Old has three letters. Testament has nine letters. So three and nine, 39 books in the old. New has three letters. Testament also has nine letters. Three times nine is 27, right? And if you got nothing out of church today than that, then I, that's awesome. I'm so glad you came. Hopefully you get a little bit more. <laughs> so so we, we dove in and we answered questions on the Old Testament and, and, and how the, the Jewish scriptures, what they deem as holy scriptures, we have as our Old Testament. And that was canonized before the time of Christ. Christ refers to the canonization of scripture. And then we have the New Testament. So we unpacked how we got the New Testament, why these different books and writings. And there was three Three main criteria for the writings that needed to be canonized and the three criteria three areas of recognition were number one the authorship were they apostolic writings like it wasn't hearsay passed down through generations no no, no. this this is a writing that actually came from somebody who walked with jesus okay number two was the content was that congruent with the doctrine and the theology that was being taught or was that ah there's something off with that right there's a reason why there was a certain book that was called the gospel of thomas and it didn't make it into your bible there's a reason why the the third Corinthians. And yes, there was a third Corinthians book. Why that? They said, ah, that's actually, that's not Paul that wrote that. Somebody else wrote that trying to pretend to be Paul. So we're not, that, that doesn't, that doesn't hold up to the canon, the, the rule, the measuring line of scriptures. And then number three, was it accepted by uh, the, the apostles and the early church leaders? Because we know this in second Timothy three 16, you've heard this, right? All scripture, everybody say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that word given by inspiration of God, that's five words in the English, but it's actually one word in the Greek. In the Greek, it's theonustos. Theonustos, theo meaning God, nustos meaning breathe. So it's God breathed. And this is in line with Psalms 33 verse six, where it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them and by the breath of his mouth. So God's breath carried God's word, just like my breath is carrying my words right now through this awesome microphone. So in everything that God breathed, that he spoke, everything that he spoke and he breathed on, those things, those people experienced his power. And that's why we're coming here today to hear the word of the Lord. All right. So that was a quick recap of part one and two. Let's dive into part three. Um, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah was a uh, he was he was sent he was a government official that was sent to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem the walls were broken down they had been raided and ransacked and then years went by and they were living in exile and then they got the okay from the king to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls and they also ended up rebuilding the temple and in the book of Nehemiah you'll hear a few familiar people that are there there's Nehemiah and Ezra the Jewish scholars look at this as one book that they have they, they call the book of Ezra but it's Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah was more of the government official. Ezra was the, the, the priest. He was the person that was there. Nehemiah was focused on rebuilding the physical. Ezra was helping to rebuild the, the spiritual. All right, so as, uh, Nehemiah ch chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to read out of the NIV version today. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Remember that, the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. 
which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. When they say who could understand, what they're referring to is children that were of an age where they could understand and comprehend the things of the scriptures. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. So in Jewish tradition, you would always stand for the reading of the word. You would sit for the instruction, the teaching of the word. So Ezra opens the book. And then in verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, and there goes on to list a bunch of the Levites, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, I want you to go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. So do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're wondering where that is in the scriptures, it's not only in Psalms, but here he is, they're quoting it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. So the people are super emotional to the point where they have to go and say, Hey, calm down. It's okay. Like they're comforting them. Like it's okay. Don't grieve. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food, to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And I love this picture because it is an encouragement to take joy in the word of God. Like, Like God's word for you and I is to be enjoyed, not endured. <laughs> Church <laughs> is to be enjoyed, not endured. So I hope you're here and I hope you're not just enduring. I hope you're enjoying, all right? Enjoying the presence of God. The, the, the word of God brings about joy in your life. So you ever have a time where you read the word of God and you walk away and you're like, I didn't encounter God. All I did is read words on a page. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty in church. It's good to be honest in church. And then there's times where you go, pause, I want to encounter, I want to engage with you. And as you do, what happens? The Lord, he convicts you, he cuts your heart, he corrects you on different things. How many have ever been corrected by the Lord? It's so sweet the way he corrects. Man, I wish my dad corrected me with the love and the gentleness and the firmness that God does, right? Sometimes when I fail, and I fail often, uh, I'm reminded how kind God is, and there's a moment where God gets a hold of my heart after I have a moment to breathe, take a deep breath, and then I come with the heart of God because the conviction that comes through spending time with God. 
You're not always going to get it right. Um, husbands, you won't always get it right. Wives, you won't always get it right. But having, having that spouse that loves the Lord so much, the Lord is going to take care of them. Let the Lord convict them. You don't need to convict them. The Holy Spirit will. That's a side note. I know this isn't a marriage seminar, but I felt inspired there for a moment. So in order for the people of God to uh, have their identity of faith reestablished, there were some things that needed to happen. And they needed to be reminded of the central truth that made them unique among the other nations, right? Other nations, they had a temple. They had temples. It wasn't that. Other nations had great cities. Jerusalem's a pretty awesome city. It wasn't that. Other nations had great leaders. It wasn't that. What made them unique and what they needed to be reminded of is that they were entrusted and given the word of God. And they needed to get back to the point where they had a holy reverence for the word of God. You know, if you, if you, there's, there's different postures that we can come into God's presences. One of them is just like, I got a cup of coffee, hand in the pocket, and I'm, yes, Lord. And I barely walked in the door, you know. The other posture is, Lord, yes to everything that you have for me. And there's a difference that happens in that posture for worship. And there's a difference that happens in our posture when we come to read the word of God. If we're, you, you got to come to God. That's why when we started the series in the found, foundations at the beginning of the year, we started the series talking about the nature and the character of God. Why? Because if you don't understand the nature and the character of God, then all you're going to learn is facts and figures, and it is good, great truth, but you won't really encounter God. And the heartbeat of this is that you're encountering God. So we focused at the beginning of the year on the character and the nature of God. Because I know God is love, I can trust him. Because I can trust God, I can trust his word. And some people say, well, why do we have the Bible? The, the reason we have the Bible is quite simple. It's because God is love. God is love. And love requires relationship. Relationship requires communication. And communication is what God does. He communicates to us. Why does he communicate? Because God is love, <laughs> right? And the cycle continues. And Ezra 7.10, this would be what I would, I would call Ezra's life verse. And uh, Ezra's life verse, he says this. Ezra had determined to do three things. Number one, study. Number two, obey the law of the Lord. And number three, to teach the decrees and the regulations of the people of Israel. So number one, study the word. Study the word. Study the word. Number two, he focused on obeying the word of God. It's one thing to read it and not do anything. It's another thing to read it and let the Bible read you, right? You don't want to be like what James talked about, the man that read the word and then walked away and he's like the man that looked in the mirror and forget what his face looked like. No, the word of God is meant to looking deep inside of you, right? It's going to cut between bone and marrow. It's going to splice right to the, the deep areas of your heart, the areas that nobody sees, the dark shadows, the things that you struggle with, the insecurities, the pressures, the, the things in life that have come your way, things that have happened to you, things that you've done. The Word of God comes and brings transformation in those areas. So Everson's threefold mission, he studied, obeyed, and he taught the Word of God. So in this quest to understand and, uh, and to know God more, uh, God in his kindness, he gave to us his word. He wanted to communicate to us. And then the Bible was written, the original texts were in Hebrew, and then there was some that began to be written that were in Aramaic, and then we had some that were in Greek. And over time, after the Bible was canonized, which we talked about last week, um, after, or two weeks ago, after the Bible was canonized, 
Then what happened is they began to translate it into other languages. And the, the first main language that it was translated into that it was widespread and utilized was Latin. Latin with the growth of the Roman Empire um, and, and the Roman roads and the expansion. And, and there was commerce and there was trading and there was people traveling that have never really traveled distances before. And through that, the Bible began, began to expand. And so you had the Bible translated then from the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic now into Latin. And then the rise of Catholicism with the Catholic Church, which I'm not going to give you a historical dissertation on the Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic. My uncle's a priest. My father, whose birthday is in the month of March, his name is Patrick, and he was born on St. Patrick's Day. Okay, that's that's how Catholic I is. Okay, Catholic roots on both sides of the family. Uh, there, there, there's, there's a lot of negative things that somebody could say about the Catholic Church, but there's a few great positive things as well. And there was the expansion of the Word of God, and it began to go out. So I want to share with you a little bit more, and we're going to dive into the translations of the Bible. Some people say, well, you just read from the NIV, and I thought you should only read from New King James Version, or if you're older, the King James Version, or the ESV, or what about the NLT and the MSG, which is the message. I always thought that was a weird <laughs> way. I know it's abbreviation, but anytime you said it, MSG, isn't that bad for you? The message translation. That's its little acronym. So why is this important? Um, for, 2 Peter one twenty one says this. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is talking about the doctrine of inspiration. Today, I want to focus on the doctrine of preservation, okay? So you have the doctrine of inspiration. God breathed his word, right, which we talked about. Now I want to talk a little bit more about the doctrine of inspiration. If God, doctrine of, of, of um, preservation. If God breathed the word and gave us the word, how many know he could preserve it and keep it so that you and I, believers, 2,000 years later, would be able to have a good representation of his word, right? Because God is powerful and he is love. So the way that that was done originally was through scribes. So Jewish scribes, and we have a few of them that are listed. There's four primary Jewish scribes that were listed here. Listed here. There, there's the uh, Masoretes from 1,000 to 500 BC. So that's 1,000 to 500 years before Christ. You had them. They, they were like the, the brilliant minds, the Jewish scholars of their day. They were the, 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 the brilliant minds of their day. And they took great pain in writing down and keeping track of all that we had in recorded history. And then you had the Seraphim from 500 to 200. BC, and um, and uh, and then you had the Tanaim from 200 to 100 BC, and then you had the Zugoth uh, group uh, that was consisted. It was basically five pairs of different uh, leaders, and a good way to think of that, the last group, the Zugoth from 170 to 30 BC, good way to think of them would almost be like if if guarding the Bible and the holiness and the accuracy of the scriptures was like a Supreme Court. That's what those guys were, okay? So they, they were in charge of really preserving and keeping the law, and they had five pairs of them, so 10 different uh, individuals that had five pairs of key, key areas of the law that they would do to really keep and make sure this is being maintained accurately. And because different, you know, you would write things down, and they kept them as best they could, but then they had to be copied, and there was new churches and new areas where they were expanding to, and so they needed to give great greater copies. So they would bring it out. They'd roll out the big scrolls. And uh, now there was there was a, a special prescription for keeping track of the word of God. It's not like anybody could just kind of free flow and your handwriting's different than my handwriting 
and my handwriting is different than her handwriting. And it wasn't like that. Like there was, it, it was, it was so holy. You got to imagine the, the, these Jewish people there had such reverence for God and for the holiness of God's word. So they actually had, they had a rule for rules for their preservation. You couldn't just write it on anything. You had to write it on, on a certain type of parchment. You, you couldn't just write large because you have bigger handwriting. Anybody have bubbly handwriting? I was always told that I had very, uh, feminine handwriting, the way that I do my cursive letters. You know, I don't even know if they teach cursive anymore, but when I was a kid, they taught cursive and mine was kind of big and bubbly. And, and my grandma's, she would write us a letter sometimes and her handwriting was so exact and tiny. And I think it was because the Catholic upbringing, you would get swatted with the ruler, you know, if you screwed up. So, uh, so yeah, it was all the size of the columns mattered. You couldn't just have free flow. Yeah, they had to, they had a measuring stool like a ruler. They would measure the exact size of the columns. You couldn't be over the column size. The kind of ink, you know, like like I'm a black ink guy. I, I hate using blue ink for writing cards. I like having black ink in my pen. They had a specific type of ink on keeping track and what would be used. And even the spacing of the words, like, okay, you finish the word. Okay, now this little space and now the next word. So we understand so that it just didn't just flow together. Like it was such, it was such a, pres- the, the prescribed way of doing it. And again, all of this, the, there's this, pre- this is prescribed and governed by the most brilliant minds of their day prescribing and keeping track of the Holy Scriptures. And even when you go into the New Testament, that same process continued on. In fact, we have many uh, uh, new uh, documents that have come out uh, that date back to um, 117 years after the birth of, of Jesus. So like just, you're, you're talking less than one lifespan after Jesus' death on the cross, burial, and resurrection, then we have writings that we have now today that we look back and the scholars are like, it's virtually unchanged. It, it, like what you have and what you read in your Bible is virtually the same thing. So where did, how did we get our Bible? So let me give you a few. Now, we, you, you might have walked in here with your Bible and you got your Bible on your iPad or you got your Bible on your phone. Or uh, if, if you're like my wife, you brought your, your paper Bible, uh, the New King James Version or whatever you might have. But there was a process that led to us having the Bible. And it started um, in terms of the, the translation from the Bible to English for our, our reading originated from a guy named John Wycliffe. So John Wycliffe, I think we have a picture of this handsome dude up here. There he is. Cool beard. So, uh, so he was the first person to oversee the translation of, of the entire Bible into English, the New Testament in 1380 and the Old Testament in 1382. And so he was educated at Oxford. Uh, he became a lecturer at Oxford. He was a scholar. He was a pastor. And he saw the need for people to begin to read the Bible in their own language because at that time they were reading it and hearing it in church in Latin. The problem was not everybody spoke Latin. And so the kids, they weren't overjoyed. They were enduring mass, right? And so what he decided to do, hey, it would be really great if we could have this in English so that not only the clergymen, but the everyday person in our congregations and in our villages would have a copy of the scriptures. Wouldn't that be opening? Wouldn't that be amazing? And so that's what he he spent his time doing. And then um, after his death, they they revised the translation and um, and 
and many of them that helped him, they were con condemned and they were actually burned at the stake. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Wycliffe was also, uh, condemned and, and, and it was sad. And so he, he passes the baton and the guy that picks it up is a guy named William Tyndale. You might've heard that, or you might've had a, uh, you've seen Tyndale house publishers or what have you that this is, this is grandpa. Grandpa Bill, okay, William Tyndale. Okay, William Tyndale, spurred by the Reformation, he ended up translating the New Testament from Greek manuscripts and began to work on the Old Testament from the Hebrew scriptures. And so, and, and he also included different notes. And in his notes that he would do, so he would create, he would write word for word, and then he'd create a note that would be teaching. Okay, pause. Let's go back to the story of Ezra. So Ezra is up in front on the big wooden pedestal and he's sharing the word of God. And it said the Levites were helping the people understand. So they were going around and they were explaining things. So William Tyndale, he wrote word for word, the word of God. And then he wrote what would be known nowadays, we call it a commentary. And he would explain, this is what the passage of scripture. So he had the word for word translation. And then he was giving a little bit of thought for thought so that you could have some greater understanding. But interwoven in there too, he ended up taking in some of his writings some pot shots at the church leadership and a few pot shops in terms of like the King of England and stuff like that. And, and it didn't well, it didn't end well for him. He was burned at the stake. And his last words were, Lord, open the, open the eyes of the king. That was his last words and he dies. So his baton is dropped, and then another guy comes and picks it up, and he's Miles Coverdale. Miles Coverdale, he was also a reformer. He had to flee England uh, when Henry VIII, I believe it was. Um, Henry VIII was still sympathetic to the Roman Catholic uh, Church, and so he goes into exile, and he picks up where Tyndale left off, and, and so he ends up completing. And so all to say, the, 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 the Bible begins to be translated and starts to become widely distributed among the churches, but that same level of accuracy the same level when the bible is translated a lot of times there was a main person that was leading the charge but it was a council of people just similar to the jewish uh, scribes back a thousand years before christ adhered to type of paper the writing the size the columns all that everything played in so they begin to do that and so the bible is getting translated and distributed and while this is all happening in england there's something really remarkable that begins to happen over in this place called Germany. Does anybody know what it was? It was the invention of the printing press, right? So over in Germany, we have the invention of the Gutenberg printing press, okay? I've been back to the, uh, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and there it is. And you're walking around the original printing press, and it's one of the most incredible experiences to go and, 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 and take that in and to hear all the rich history. And so the Gutenberg printing press is the first printing press ever invented, and the first book that was ever printed on the printing press was the Bible. And so, uh, and the first Bible originally was in Latin, but then they ended up with the expansion of getting some of the writings from uh, Tyndale and, and Wycliffe. They were able to piece together and they actually ended up being able to do an English version of the Bible as well. But it all started on that printing press back in 1450. And so you see that there's, and, it, and it's been talked about that that invention was one of the greatest inventions in all of history. And, and at that time, they had books and people would read books. That was 
entertainment, right? It, they, they weren't going to the movies. Uh, they were sometimes going to some plays. But the biggest entertainment for everyday life was actually opening opening up a book. And so a lot of those books at that time were just hand scribbled books that were copied out. And so you'd have, and you would read, and that would be entertainment. And now they're having the Bibles that come into homes. So before the printing press, there was only about 30,000 books in all of Europe. After the printing press, within 1500 years, I think that would put it about 1500 years after Christ. So after the printing press, uh, 50 years later, they had over 12 million books in circulation in Europe. The number one book requested, number one selling book, the Bible. Still to this day, the number one selling book in all of human history is the Bible. Every single year, the Bible. It sells so much, they don't even bother putting it on. And so you, you, you hear about this, and, and it strengthens the faith in your writing. The question is, what do you do with your Bible? How do we treat the Word of God? And honestly, as much as I'm a messenger today, I'm also receiving from the Lord. <laughs> receiving from the Lord and reminded of His goodness and His kindness and His grace and the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God in our lives. So Bibles begin to spread and they make it into hands of not only the clergy members, but all different members of society. And it leads to the Great Reformation because all these people are now reading it and they're like, oh man, that priest or that church leader was trying to pull the wool over my eyes. That's not what it says. They had an agenda and their agenda was from the king of England and I'm not cool with that or the king of France or whoever. So now we're going to, now Reformation started. And the Gutenberg printing press helped to launch the Protestant Reformation. So when it comes to the different translations of the Bible, what, what, what's the best translation? What are the different translations? Why do we even have different translations? Am I not reading the true word for word? Is there something that's missing from my Bible that's in your Bible? What is all of that? So I want to just break down the three types of Bible translations for you. Is this okay? I know this is a little bit more deep teaching. hope this is good information. So three types of translations. Number one, there's formal equivalence. That's word for word, okay? We'll break this down in a second. Formal equivalence, you'll have the New King James, the ESV, which is my personal favorite. Uh, you have the New American Standard Bible, Amplified, and then the Young's Living uh, Translation. And then you have uh, uh, the dynamic equivalence, which is thought for thought. Um, and that's the NIV, the NLT, the Good News, um, and CEV. And then um, the last one, which really isn't much of a translation, but we still throw it in there, um, is the paraphrase. That would be like the message or the passion translation, which I love. I love that. And somebody says, what's the bi best Bible? Well, one that's accurate and one that you read, brother. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> one that doesn't just sit on the coffee table to keep the boogeyman away, okay? One that you're actually opening, one that you're actually diving into. And I've had different times where I read the NIV. That was the first Bible that I had when I was saved. So when I go back and I read something in the NIV, it just takes me back and I remember where I was at in that summer of 2002 before I'm going to ask uh, Fawn to marry me. And I can remember certain things the Lord spoke to me about, right? And I, I hear a translation. And then there's other times where I got more into the study when I had my New Living Translation study Bible. And that just opened my eyes to some different things. The New King James Version. I like the ESV. Um, that's just my personal favorite, especially when I'm doing in-depth studies or, or sermon preparation or what have you. And so the dynamic equivalent uh, so you have the formal, the dynamic, and then the paraphrase. So the formal equivalence is just really like, did this word, we want to get this word as closely as possible to the actual word that was in the text. 
And then the, the dynamic equivalence is we want this thought that Paul's trying to convey. We want to get this as close as possible. Like there, there's one scripture in, in particular, Paul's uh, sharing, I believe it's in Colossians. We don't have the slide, but he, he's, he's driving home the point that, that uh, you, to, to, from your heart that you really need to, you know, come to God. And the, the actual translation, when they translated it, uh, from, from, uh, from Aramaic into English, when they did that, it translated bowels or intestines. <laughs> so, so I can't imagine Paul saying, from your bowels. <laughs> like, you have to have the heart, you know, the heart of God, the passion, and from the bowels of your intestines, you know. And so it doesn't really read well. And so they, they, the different translators said, oh, okay, the thought for thought translation is, well, really from the, of your compassionate heart, you know, you want to serve people. So I mean, there's different things like that. So let me just show you probably one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible, John 3, 16. I'm going to show you the difference between a formal equivalence or a dynamic equivalence, okay? So this would be a formal equivalence. For God did so love the world that his son, the only begotten, he gave, that everyone who is believing in him may not perish, but may have life aged during. Okay, that's formal equivalence. That's the best that they could do. That's a Young's literal translation. That's the best they could do word for word. Okay, that, that doesn't really roll off the tongue as well as the next translation. The next translation is the dynamic equivalence. In the dynamic equivalence, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's out of the new living. You see the difference? So that's just, that's just showing. So if you want to study and go really deep in the word for word, man, the formal equivalence is phenomenal. If you want to get more of an understanding, like the thought that was conveyed, and, 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 and maybe it's a little bit easier based on whatever um, education or reading level or interest level you have, then, then maybe something more on the dynamic equivalence would, would be good for you to dive into. So, so why, why this info? Uh, the reason that we're spending time talking about this is because there's a, there's a battle that's raging for the validity of the Bible right now. Uh, there's actually uh, an organization that came together and they said, hey, we're going to do a Bible. We're going to do our own Bible, but we're going to eliminate all pronouns. So there's not going to be him or her. It's going to be them and it's going to be they. I'm not kidding you. There's organizations that have come together. And so they have this Bible that doesn't call God a he. It just says God, which is fine. But God many times refers to and he said or they'll, they'll take out him or her and they'll just say, and them or they. And so they're removing, they're, they're, they're doing all these different things right now to try to take away the validity of the Bible. And I want you to know, because at some point you might have somebody in your living room that comes in with the new Queen James Version Bible. And you got to be able to, I want you to have some ammunition. Okay, not literal. Okay. I want you to have some spiritual ammunition. I want you to have some spiritual ammunition to answer those tough questions as to why. And the truth is, a lot of people, they don't, they don't know this. And a lot of people don't have time to go through seminary or time to do the research that was done for us today. 
And so the goal of today and why we're going through this is because you need the word of God in you and you need to have confidence in the word of God that you can trust it, that you can stand on it, you can raise your kids on it, you can found, your marriage can be founded on it because it is the word of God. It is infallible. It is inspired by God. It's inerrant, okay? God said he for a reason. God set male and female apart for a reason. God calls different things holy for a reason. And I am not God. God, so I'm not going to pen myself up and try to tell you what you need to do or how you need to live. Let's just point to the word of God and let the word of God speak. Let's take out the opinions of man. Let's get into the opinions of God, right? We need more of that in our culture. So what the Bible does, having a knowledge of the Bible, this is what it ends up doing. It ends up giving you safeguards for your life. It's like in 2006, there was a, uh, there was a study done and they were studying the effects of open spaces and closed spaces with children in child development centers. And so if you've ever been to a playground, there's certain playgrounds that have no fence and that's like every mom's worst nightmare, right? If you got a runner. And so like there's playgrounds that have like no fence and they were, and, and so they would bring this, this whole class to that playground and they would watch and they would observe them how they played. And in the playgrounds with no fence, they found that the kids actually stayed closer to the monitors, closer to the teachers. They played closer games with each other. They didn't really go and explore. There, there was a, there were, they didn't really feel safe. But when they put up a fence, what you thought would be opposite became actual true. They, under, they experienced more freedom. Because they knew that they could go that far and no further, they actually had so much joy just going, running around and exploring because they felt safe knowing, okay, there's the line. I know, I know what the perimeter is. I know what the fence is. So now I have safety. I feel safe in what I'm, where I'm at. And I feel a sense of freedom. I can go and I can enjoy and I can explore. Having an understanding of the word of God gives you safety and gives you freedom. Having, having an understanding of the word of God, especially when it comes to marriage, is crucial for safety and freedom in that marriage. So the word of God creates safe places for us. All right, so let's go back to Ezra. This is where we're going to end, and I'll have Isaac come and play the keys, and Sarah, you can join us up front as well. So back to Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12. So after hearing God's word... They, uh, the people went away, they go to eat, they go to celebrate and they have great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. So I'm sure that there was a conflicting peace for the children of Israel. Here they were, they were coming back and they get back and they get to, they get to Jerusalem and they heard different stories and now they're there. And it's like, whoa, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like they had to rebuild walls. They had to rebuild temple. There was people that were trying to steal and break in and destroy them and people that were talking bad about them and in murmurings and different things. And they're like, we thought we were coming for something greater than what we're experiencing now. Oh my goodness. And then Ezra gets up in the, the, the scribe and he reads from the scriptures and they're like, I feel this conflicting sense. In one sense, I feel sad because I'm not living my life the way that the word of God is telling me that I need to live and I haven't honored God and I feel sad because of the time the years that I've spent that were maybe away from the things of God and so there's this feeling of kind of like oh and then then they need to remind them no you guys you need to forget that stuff we're actually today is a holy day 
we're actually going to celebrate today. Don't, don't get caught up on what you didn't do. Don't get caught up on the years that you weren't walking with God, weren't walking according to his scriptures. No, no, no. Uh, we're going to celebrate now that we know, then let's go live like it. And so they encourage, and so they get up, and they go, and they enjoy, and they have a, a day of feasting, and eating, and drinking, and sharing, and, and community begins to be built. Nehemiah was good at setting in place the physical, but man, when Ezra got up, the spiritual was restored. And maybe you're here today. Maybe there's some physical things in your life. You're like, I'm good spiritually, but I need some physical rebuilding in different areas. Things are going to right. Or maybe you're here and it's like, man, life's good. Stuff's going. Life's flowing. But inside, there's some spiritual decay. God wants to rebuild that in your life today. I just want to ask you to just go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. So we close today. You know, the place where Ezra spoke those famous words when he opened it up, it was near the water gate in the city of David. And there's, there's, there's different views archaeologically as to where the water gate was physically located. Most archaeologists believe that it was located near the only place of fresh water in the entire area. And that fresh water represented life to them in the physical, and the word of God was life to them in the spiritual. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you, you're here and you haven't taken the Bible seriously. Maybe you haven't taken God at his word. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like, you know what, I'm feeling a stirring in my heart to get back into the word of God. Like at some point there was a stirring in your heart where you said, I want to get, I want to go to church. I want to get back into church. I need to have a right relationship, which is awesome that you're here in this building. But God wants you to encounter him daily. And he's, he's delivered you his word. And maybe here this morning or through the course of this series, you're feeling a stirring to make a fresh commitment to God and, and to get back into his word. And I've heard people say before, man, I'd read the Bible more if I just understood it. I just want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit, as, as one of his job duties, <laughs> is to help teach you. He wants to lead you in those. And there's an incredible application on the phone. It's the Bible app. New version Bible app. It's one of the most downloaded application, mobile apps in the entire world. And it's the Bible. It has all different translations, like what I talked about today. And there's reading plans in there. You can read through the Bible in a year. With our community, we have Authentic Church has a has a has a page there within the Uversion Bible app that we teamed up with, and we have a whole reading plan for you. You can jump into the One Year Bible. But I just want to encourage you today. Let's make a fresh commitment to getting into God's Word. Let's make a fresh commitment to letting the God of the Word reach into our hearts and transform us. God, we thank you for your word. God, today I just make a fresh commitment to your word. Fresh commitment to your word. To live according to your word. God, that you would help us, lead us, guide us, direct us, Lord God. close out today with Psalms 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. 
Uh, the length of Psalms 119 is about the same as the book of Ruth or James or Philippians. It's 176 verses. And it's so rich. And the main focus, the driving point of the entire psalm is the word of God, the importance of the word of God. Psalms 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. This morning, God's lighting up some things that might have been hidden before. This morning, God's lighting up some dark areas of pain that you've experienced to bring healing. This morning, God's word is illuminating, giving revelation to bring about transformation. The word of God is a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. The word of God is so important. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, in telling, instructing the husbands of the church, he says, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The word of God, as you dive back into the word of God, as you make a fresh commitment to getting into the word of God, it's the word of God's going to begin to cleanse you. It's going to cleanse your thoughts. It's going to cleanse your ways. It's going to give you wisdom you didn't know you needed. It's going to help you be softer in a moment where you feel frustration or anger. It's going to help you to have faith where you feel hopeless. The Word of God cleanses you. So don't partner with words of the enemy. Don't partner with the word of being stressed out or having anxiety or depression. Don't partner with the word of this is just my sickness. This is my cross to bear. No, Jesus, he bore everything on the cross so that you didn't have to. Healing is for you today. Healing is for you. Forgiveness is for you. Provision is for you. It's all in the word of God. So we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive, living, active, breathing, speaking to us today. And God, we make a commitment to you as a people, an authentic church, God, that we would be people of your word, people of the spirit. God, that we make a fresh commitment to your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe on your words this week. Breathe on the word of God this week as we read, as we open the Bible. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, show us, as we, as we listen to the Bible in the, in the Bible app, as we read it in our reading plan, as we open the Bibles in our homes, God, I pray that you would just breathe. And I thank you for the word and your breath, the Holy Spirit. We ask you to breathe on your word in Jesus' name. You know, if you're new to Authentic Church or just new to faith in general, and you're saying, man, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, I don't even know what that looks like. I just want to quote a couple of scriptures for you to ponder in your heart. The first one is out of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, you know, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I wish I could tell you that there's other ways to salvation, but there isn't. That The only way to salvation is through Jesus. That is the reality. Let me correct that. I don't wish that I could tell you there's other ways. I don't wish. I'm telling you, the only way is through Jesus. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone. The mass murderer that's incarcerated, that calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Yep. 
You mean the person that committed adultery? Yep. You mean the person that lied and cheated on their taxes? Yep. Everyone can be saved. You mean even a seven-year-old that has this revelation that God loves me and he gave Jesus for me and he says, I want to be saved? Yep. But God doesn't want you to just stop there. He actually wants you to take it one step further. Acts 22, 16 says, what are you waiting for? You've been saved. The next step is to get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Like experience new life. And if you've not been water baptized, I want to personally meet you after service. If you gave your life to Jesus today, I want to personally meet you after service. I want to play with you. I want to talk with you about your next steps. And please hear me as a pastor, as a dad, as a spiritual dad to some people. Don't live like, like an orphan when God has placed you in a spiritual family. There's a purpose. There's a reason you're sitting here today and hearing these words. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Why don't we all stand as we close today? I just want to sing this chorus one more time. I, I hear the song that you guys are playing. I would love to play the, the song about the blood of Jesus. Let this song just be an anthem for us today. Thank you, Lord. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.